0: Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is Michael Benner, your host every Sunday for this program about metaphysics and mysticism, about the perennial philosophy, human potential, personal, and spiritual development, however you want to phrase it, and uh, again, I'm... I I love doing this, we're in our third year of the Mystery School, so actually I think we're pretty close to beginning our fourth year as I stop to think about it. We have about 150 programs in our archive that you can sort through, and if you're getting the newsletter, then uh, you know how to access all of that. It's always available, the links are always in the newsletter. If you're not getting the newsletter, it's easy to remedy. Just go to our uh, website, theagelesswisdom.com after the W's in a, in a period. It's theagelesswisdom.com and on the um, uh, splash page that you first land on, you'll see a button that says free newsletter. All I need is a name and an email address and You'll begin to get the newsletter, usually on Thursday or Friday, with the link to the upcoming Sunday Mystery School in it, and uh, this week we're going to talk about the current events that are coming out of Egypt. We're going to talk about people in the streets of Cairo from a non-political point of view, from the point of view of spirituality, really, and uh, again, I'm really not much of a religious person, but I'm fascinated as you are, I believe, just by the fact that you're listening to this class that you've tuned in here indicates to me that you're interested in, in such things that you may be one of the 25% of Americans who now define themselves as spiritual but not religious. And that means we can look at events in the news from a non-political and non-religious point of view, as philosophers, as people who are interested in the humanities and um, may even describe themselves as humanists, that come from a secular point of view, but you have a, a conscience and are aware of your consciousness and would like to develop it. And many of us who look at the events coming out of Cairo are looking at it not from a political or socio-political point of view. That's all we get from the news media. The Sunday morning TV programs, the newspapers and news magazines are all talking about the politics of what's happening in Egypt and maybe a little about the economics. Will gas go to $5 a gallon? Um, By the way, if, if the gas prices do go up, and they probably will in the next few weeks, it'll have nothing to do directly with what's happening in Egypt. It's all rigged as i'm sure you realize by wall street those prices are artificially boosted and the people that do it that profit the oil monopoly in the world basically five corporations uh... with similar interest uh, they can rig the game and raise those prices or lower those prices uh... time they want at the wellhead uh as uh, speculation on a commodity, uh, so-called futures, and, of course, at the gas pump as well. Um, When there's no competition, as you know, when you have a cartel or a monopoly, there can be no supply and demand. The laws of the marketplace cannot work. And that's been the case with gasoline for 35, 40 years now. Anyway... um, I said it would be non-political and non-economic, so that's about as far, <laughs> far in that direction uh, that I want to go. I'll, I'll, I want to talk instead about the events in Cairo this week, as they say, from a, a personal development or spiritual development point of view. And I'd like to talk about the yin and the yang of all of this, the double-edged sword, so to speak, the negative side and the positive side. I think the negative side is the most obvious to most people, and that's that there's violence in the street. I wonder how these people are being fed, how they're feeding themselves, and what personal sacrifices these tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of demonstrators are making in order to be there uh, not going to work, not going to school. Again, how do they how do they feed themselves? How do they carry on their activities, their daily life and affairs, and maintain the presence in that square? Because if the anti government forces, the revolutionaries, the people that are in the streets and holding that square ever give it up. Then Mubarak can stay. They can uh, blockade the the, uh, the square, and it's likely they'll never get back in. They've got to hold that square. It's almost like a military tactic in that regard. And, of course, the specter of goons and thugs on horses and, my God, even camels. It looked so medieval. These are Mubarak's um goon squads, his death squads, uh coming in with whips and chains and beating these people makes you scratch your head and wonder what the impact is politically. Here I go again. I promise not to do this, but I gotta touch on it. There are the political overtones. The 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 weapons that are used are provided by the United States. Um, as John Stewart pointed out on the Daily Show, I didn't hear anybody else talk about it, the tear gas canisters all say made in the USA. on them. Uh, too bad they don't say made in China, right? That's where most of our goods come from. But the one thing we still make in abundance is weapons. And the fact that the United States has always had a cozy relationship with dictators is something that needs to be explained um, to a lot of people, a lot of Americans who are under the impression that the United States is always on the side of a democracy. And it's not true. We have often overthrown democracy and installed uh, dictatorship. Now, I think you do have to work with whatever government is in power, but um, you're going to you're going to pay a price for that when the dictatorship is overthrown, and that's the balance that uh, our government has to walk right now to recognize that we have to support and work with, to some extent anyway, support uh, every government in the world because even the the most despotic uh what we do not have to do and what we have done is make their suppression of the rights of their own people uh easier for them to accomplish and um to reinforce or or support their worst activities the united states under both president bush and most oddly under Barack Obama as well, has rendered prisoners to Egypt for torture. When George Bush says, we don't torture, what he meant was we subcontract that out like everything we privatize. Um, so if we capture somebody and the U.S. intelligence wants to torture them to get always bad information it's a very very stupid strategy but it began under Bush and for whatever reason it continues under the Obama administration often Barack Obama behaves as if his family is being held hostage and maybe they are something to consider in a sense Uh, so this rendering and this torture continues We even have uh, a man who's an American citizen. Um, Gosh, uh, his name escapes me, Bradley something, uh, who is in the brig in uh, the United States in prison uh, with no charges uh, in solitary confinement for suspicion of being involved in the WikiLeaks program. But because George Bush devastated the Constitution, and through away, essentially, the due process clause, the Obama administration can continue these policies where people are, even American citizens, imprisoned without charges being filed, locked away in a dungeon, no access to an attorney or any kind of legal counsel in violation of 800 years of law as well as the U.S. Constitution, that's still happening. This man has not been charged with anything. He's just locked away in a dungeon in the United States of America. Usually they're rendered to Egypt, where the Mubarak government tortures them for us. So this three-decade dictatorship of Hosni Mubarak is despotic and tyrannical, And each and every one of us should be identifying with the people in the square. Now, I said it's a double-edged sword. The positive side is the hope and the optimism that we all feel. At least I hope you feel it. I hope you sense it. The enthusiasm and, uh, well, I think maybe the best word is simply hope. That Mubarak will leave and that things can get better um I thought it was sort of funny that Mubarak said the other day that he wasn't going to leave because if he did the country would turn into chaos well it's already in chaos (laughs) sort of a stupid thing for him to say but dictators are not often known for being intelligent and pithy um so it's going to be unstable it's going to be a mess you have uh, the situation in uh, tunisia a similar situation in a much smaller country that inspired this and some speculate that this could be be the beginning of a, a kind of a revolution that sweeps across the entire region but as we look at it today i'd like to encourage you to go to your heart as well as your mind and allow your emotional and spiritual intelligence to empathize with the hopes and the dreams with the aspirations of these people who simply want freedom and liberty uh, and they may get it I think it was Bill Maher a couple of nights ago that said Wouldn't it be ironic if the whole region became democratic except for Iraq and Afghanistan, where we went in with a military invasion, trying to install democracy with guns and bombs, when all you have to do is just stop supporting the dictators, the problem is the Fortune 500, the big corporations that rule the world, prefer dictatorships. They really like dictators. So you and I are rooting for the people in the town square. You need to know that American-based multinational corporations are rooting for Mubarak and the goons on the camels and the horses. Uh, they love dictatorship. It's easy; They're easy to bribe. It's like the right-wing in this country that is always pushing for decentralizing the the federal government, taking that apart and emphasizing states' rights. Um, this is that same hue and cry we heard from the South during the American Civil War. It's really not about slavery. It's about states' rights. Well, one thing I learned as a young journalist very quickly was the smaller the unit of government the more corrupt it is it's very easy to buy a vote in a city council or a county commission to bribe and to persuade to corrupt the system gets a little more difficult in the state house but it's still a lot easier than going to washington where it's most difficult and so this desire to to break it down uh, to the smallest unit of government possible means it's easier to manipulate and control. Dictators are similar. A, a, a corporation that wants to control and, and um, manage an area, uh, they're going to do much better with a dictator that they can easily bribe than a Government that is truly democratic and representative of the interests of the people. So, while you may sense that many Americans like you are supporting the people in the square of Cairo and and the people in Tunisia and people everywhere in the world that would like some economic justice and a little bit of liberty and freedom, know that the special interest is huge, monstrous. Monopolies, cartels, these big corporations are working against you. Um, they may wave the American flag and claim to be patriotic and and present a front as if they're interested in freedom and democracy, but in fact they love dictatorship, military dictatorship, um, because it's easy to bribe and corrupt. Hold on one second get my coffee alright I want to share with you a little bit from an a email I received from a friend of mine recently a fellow named Leland Stewart in Los Angeles who is the head of a group called the Unity and Diversity World Fellowship And um, he sent out a short little newsletter. I want to share part of it with you. He begins with a quotation from the Baha'i Faith that says, This is a new cycle of human power. It is the hour of unity among all peoples and of the drawing together of all races and classes. And then Leland goes on to quote a a Harvard sociologist named... um, let's see, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, Petrium, or Pita. Piterium, it's an it's a unusual first name, P-I-T-I-R-I-M, Piterium. um Sorokin is the last name, Piterum Sorokin, internationally known, formerly of Harvard, a sociologist, um, who devised what he called the Law of Polarization, what I referred to a few minutes ago as the double-edged sword. And he has postulated that any time there's a crisis, like we're witnessing here, that two things are happening simultaneously, and one may be more obvious than the other. And that's that the crisis initially is going to get worse. And uh, Leland says that's what we're seeing all around us today. However, at the very same time, According to this law of polarization, the increasing seriousness of the crisis also produces its opposite, which would be love and understanding, and the coming together of forces calling for change, for transformation. And in Egypt, Leland says, we now see a gathering of these energies demanding change and a new life for its citizens. I couldn't say it better myself. He goes on, he says, it's time for all of us to come together in the name of truth and love. We need to understand each other better and to find a common ground upon which to base our lives. We need to go beyond the limits of money and personal prowess to find the spiritual meaning of life. Above the glass ceiling of fame and fortune is the discovery of soul awakening and eternal values. The enlightened life grows out of the commitment to truth in the spirit of love. That's Leland Stewart's newsletter from the uh, from this past week, and again, Leland is um uh, a minister with an organization called The Unity and Diversity. A world fellowship, and uh, if you want me to put you in touch with that group, um, I'd be happy to do that. Okay, just email me mb at theagelesswisdom dot com, and I'll put you in touch with Leland's organization. Mb at theagelesswisdom dot com. So what we're talking about is love not politics now this is always a challenge to discuss because the word love has so many different meanings and is used so often uh, in so many ways even uh, cars and refrigerators are sold with, ad- with advertisements or advertisements that talk about love um, everything seems to have this sense around it that love is essentially an emotion or uh, a romantic feeling. Um, If pressed, people will say, well, it goes beyond romance because you can love your parents and love your children in a non-romantic way. Uh, You have friends that you love And care about and that's not necessarily romantic but still emotional you see the idea that love can be capitalized and and be understood far beyond simple emotion as a spiritual force is is challenging to many people and I think often seen only in a religious perspective where again, it tends to be uh, somewhat crystallized or, or dogmatized into a particular religion. I mean, I mean, all religions talk about love, but the more fundamental the religious perspective of an individual, the more likely they are to see their brand of love. As different from and often superior to another religion's version of love. And of course, that's so ridiculously ironic because if love is anything beyond the emotion, it is harmony. If not unity itself, at least harmony. Right? Getting along, the the, the old Rodney King line, can't we just all get along? Yes, of course we can get along if we work at it. So what's the problem? If we're going to talk about what's happening in Africa and the Middle East and the longing and the desire of people everywhere in the world to have some liberty, some control in their lives if we're going to talk about love as consciousness we need to examine what stands in the way now i've already talked about the self-interest and the economic interest of large corporations um and the governments that act as a front for those large corporations, of what's happened in the last 50 or 60 years economically. You know, in this country, the United States, a little over 100 years ago, or about 100 years ago, there was a big effort to bust the monopolies, to break up these trusts, and to bring into uh, our our federal laws a sense of regulation appropriate regulation to prevent the the unbridled greed of monopolies from creating these gross injustices and fostering and maintaining these gross economic social and political injustices well starting in the reagan era all of that reversed and we started going backwards uh, Reagan is the hero of big corporations and as well as the simple-minded because he kept saying government is not the solution, government is the problem. This is probably um, at the center of what Ronald Reagan represents and stands for. And again, um, if you're a capitalist, government is the problem because it's like if you like to drive a hundred and... 20 miles an hour down the freeway, the police are the problem. If you like to rob banks, the police are the problem. And so, yeah, Reagan and and the people that he represented in these giant, oversized, top-heavy, uh, highly centralized, megalithic, monolithic <laughs> corporations... Of course, you would see any kind of regulation as a bad thing, right? If if I want to build an exploding car to save $11 per vehicle, uh, like the Ford Motor Company did with the Pinto, they they knew it was defective, but they also knew it would cost $11 a car to fix the exploding gas tank. They did the math, and they decided it was just cheaper to pay off the survivors of those who were killed than to fix the product alright that's patently evil and it comes out of again these it's not just capitalism communism does the same thing any system that gets top heavy and over centralized uh, can find itself in a position where it is working against the best interest of the people this is not a left-wing, right-wing, communism or capitalism or socialism kind of a thing. It's about these systems being non-representative because they get too centralized. And power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I'm sure you've heard that said. So we need decentralization, right? And and in order for that to happen, we need the consciousness Of decentralization that means personal responsibility it means dignity it means that if we're going to have hope and if we're going to understand love as consciousness understanding harmony again we need to take a look not only at the economic and political forces that I've just described We need to look, I think, more deeply at the nature of evil, which is fear. Fear is the enemy. Now you can, again, call it evil. You look at the ancient philosophies and Socrates, the old Egyptians, the Chinese, uh, uh, they all say the same thing. Evil is fear. Fear and ignorance is what constitutes evil. It's as simple as that. Evil is fear and ignorance. Fear and ignorance is evil. So anything bad, negative, wrong, unjust, unjust, uh, and evil, you can count on it being rooted in human fear and ignorance. And so to conquer evil, we have to eliminate fear and ignorance we have to educate people and help them to feel safe regardless of their belief systems now this is a challenge for us to to begin to consider that tyrants and despots and even people in our own government who we want to think of as patriotic to the constitution and freedom loving people who really believe in liberty and happiness. Liberty is real freedom, and economic and social justice as well. To look in our midst and see evil, Uh, people that want to throw children off health care in order to maintain inappropriate tax cuts for billionaires, Well, that's not a matter of political policy or a belief. It's just patently evil. For the executives of, of health insurance corporations to take home salaries of $100 million per year, while 50 million Americans cannot afford health insurance at all, that's not just bad policy. It's patently evil. And to say that that persists because of fear and ignorance can be difficult to understand. You might have a hard time seeing the most corrupt of the richest people, and I'm not saying all rich people or super rich people even are corrupt, just many of them are, most of them perhaps are, many of them don't know any other way, they're just driven by money and greed and the profit motive, they call it success. And uh, the fact that people are getting screwed and that this gross injustice is creating great suffering in the world seems to them to be rather incidental. I I, I don't know how you describe this level of evil. How can an executive take home $100 million for being the CEO of a health insurance company, knowing that most people cannot afford your product. And uh, now the health insurance that was just passed that goes into effect in stages in the next few years seems to require us to buy health insurance from these private companies. Republicans call it a government takeover, but... (laughs) You're going to have to buy your insurance from a private, for-profit company that is raising rates exorbitantly and paying their executives what should be embarrassing and shameful wages. I've never heard and would love to hear some executive explain to me how you earn $100 million a year as a CEO of a health insurance company or a drug company. I'd like to follow them around for a forty hour work week to see what they do to earn a hundred million dollars year after year after year while the workers in their factory may be getting twelve to fourteen dollars an hour. You see, and unemployment stands at ten percent, and in reality is more like twenty percent. Ten percent, or nine and point, whatever it is now, those are official numbers. They don't include the people that have, long ago, fallen off the uh, unemployment rolls and no longer are getting any unemployment compensation, and have essentially accepted in their unemployment and given up. One out of six American children lives in poverty. Most Americans don't know this because the media, again, like these other segments of our economy, are owned by these giant corporations. To see these people as ignorant and frightened, and that's the root of the evil and the injustice in the world, is challenging. To think of Dick Cheney and George Bush and Donald Rumsfeld, who are war criminals, who invaded Iraq for oil and to establish military bases in the Middle East, permanent bases, and a permanent—that's mili- why they had no exit strategy. There was never a plan to leave. America never leaves. We've been in the Philippines for 112 years. We've been in South Korea for over 50 years. We're still in Germany and Japan. we don't the u s military never leaves once it gets in and to use nine eleven as a cover story for the invasion of Iraq. do you remember when the United States boycotted the Olympics because the Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan, and now we have invaded Afghanistan. It was a bad thing when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, but it's a good thing when America invades Afghanistan. You know, there's there's this idea held forth that there are good wars and bad wars. There's good bombing and strafing and bad bombing and strafing, right? There's good pirates and bad pirates. And it's not true. All evil, anything that is bad or wrong or unjust, is rooted in fear and ignorance. So we can take a non-political view. We can be aware of the politics. We can be aware of the economics. But in a more fundamental and primary way, look at the events of the world not from a socio political or economic socioeconomic point of view, but rather from the point of view of what can I do to eliminate fear and ignorance? Well the antidote to fear and ignorance what's the what's the opposite? What's the antithesis of each of those? The the opposite of fear is love. And the opposite or the antithesis of ignorance is understanding. And don't those phrases go together almost like they're a single word? Fear and ignorance just rolls off the tongue. It goes together. Can't have one without the other. You you, you can't have fear without it causing you to be confused and ignorant and ignorance is a very scary thing the more confused you are the more frightened you are so fear and ignorance feed each other they're a vicious cycle this is the metaphysics of fear this is the core of my message today The negative polarity in this law of polarities that Leland has mentioned in his email. The vicious cycle of fear and ignorance, each feeding the other. Fear is confusing, makes you ignorant, makes you stupid. Deer in the headlights, right? And of course, that confusion and that ignorance, that inability to think clearly and Be in touch with your emotional intelligence and your spiritual intelligence is very frightening. So the fear generates ignorance, confusion, and that ignorance is frightening, generates more fear, more ignorance, more fear, more ignorance, more fear, more ignorance, chugga, 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 -chugga. around and around it goes like a tornado, a vicious cycle like flushing the toilet, glug, 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 down the drain it goes, pulled down by fear and ignorance, which promotes more fear and ignorance, to which people respond with fear and ignorance. And now you see the world around you, and the ultimate problem is not those people who politically disagree with you. It's not even the appearance of social or economic injustice. Those are symptoms of the root problem of fear and ignorance. Now, you will see evil forces destroying education. Who is it in this country that wants to take apart education? that wants to underfund education, who who fights against money for public schools. It would be those people that are promoting ignorance and confusion. And this country has recently become pretty dumbed down. You know, young people, and I'm going to generalize here, But having said that, generally speaking, (laughs) because there are some really exceptional young people, very intelligent, passionate, loving, kind, wise, hopeful, enthusiastic people, but generally speaking, having said that, generally speaking, we've got young people who might be very good at sending text messages, but there's really nothing in the message. can't be more than a few more years before significant numbers of people realize the gross insignificance of their lives there's nothing in the message i wouldn't mind if if a son or daughter of mine was sending scores of text messages every day if there were messages of substance there was something provocative or redeeming or meaningful In the text message, that'd be one thing. But most of them are not very meaningful. So we have all the technology. Bucky Fuller used to say we have all the technology. How did he say it? All the right technology for all the wrong reasons. We have these incredible computers at our disposal and communication devices, but what are we communicating? Fear and ignorance? or the antithesis love and understanding now here's a weapon that you can wield for just as fear promotes ignorance and ignorance promotes fear that vicious cycle that is the problem everywhere we look that there is evil and injustice and the absence of liberty and fairness and hope you will see Evil as fear and ignorance, as a vicious cycle of fear promoting ignorance and vice versa. Interestingly, according to this law of polarities, the antithesis, the other edge of the sword, so to speak, is the redeeming side. That's the love and the understanding. And these two aspects feed each other in an upward spiral called goodness. just as the personification of evil comes from putting a D in front of it evil is the devil the personification of goodness has an O taken out God (laughs) God and the devil are nothing but personified forms of good and evil while I've defined evil as fear and ignorance I'm now defining good as love and understanding And that's a cycle, too, only it's an upward spiral instead of a downward flush. (laughs) Instead of a vicious cycle taking you to ever worse conditions and circumstances, love and understanding is an upward spiral. But notice how each feeds the other. Love is a calm, relaxed, peaceful state of mind where you feel safe. That promotes understanding, awareness, insight, recognition, realization. Oh, I see. I get it. Ah. (laughs) Which allows you to relax even more, to feel even more safe, and experience longer and deeper periods of inner peace which in turn promotes even greater understanding and insight. This is very powerful. This is the antidote. Now, if evil is fear and ignorance, and good is love and understanding, how do we get from one to the other? What do we do? How can we support the liberation movements around the world? Regardless of the country, the circumstance, the situation, how do we go beyond emotional passion to find the spiritual dimensions of love, peace, understanding, and justice? Really, fairness for everybody. It's by understanding that we are a single family. It's by the compassion, a quality of love, at the highest frequency, beyond emotion, that recognizes the common plight of all human beings. Compassion, that we're all in this together. Even the perpetrators, or perhaps especially those who perpetrate the evil in the first place the most frightened and most ignorant, though they may be very powerful uh, despots and tyrants. Again, to see a great evil, like a war criminal, and understand that they come from fear and ignorance is not easy to do. That's a challenge. To say that this evil dictator is really frightened and terrified, and that's why he is behaving in this way. That that that's a challenge to our understanding. It's hard to think of war criminals and evil despotic people as being frightened. And see, it's not so hard to think of them as being stupid or ignorant, but but I think the frightened part of the cycle. What do you mean frightened? You think Hitler was frightened? Yeah, I think he was terrified. How about Stalin and, and Mao Zedong, people that, uh, Paul Pot, who killed millions and millions of people, the masters of genocide. Okay. To think of them as frightened, that's a challenge. Especially if you don't have a good, strong background in psychology, in education, in anthropology and sociology and philosophy in general in those so-called humanities this is an area again where the American school system has failed us many Americans have just not had exposure to the classics, to the humanities they're not very well-rounded they tend to be rather myopic and narrow-minded this is where the whole ugly American uh, uh has come from this uh what's the word I'm looking for this label that we have earned for ourselves the loud American tourist that <laughs> really believes he's superior, you know the right wing calls it American exceptionalism. what they mean is white superiority right it's It's not that different from the line that that Hitler was pushing about the Aryan race being superior. That's American exceptionalism. What they, you know, when when, when right wingers stomp their feet and yell, "I want my country back," you know what they're saying. Those are white people saying, "I want a country where white people rule, and people of color and women too aren't so uppity and know their place. I want my country back. I want to go back to." Harry Truman and Eisenhower were, (laughs) you know, the white folks from Europe ran the show. Well, that's, we're not going back to that. The Western Hemisphere is largely Hispanic, and the Spanish were here in the beginning. Just the English kicked their butts, and so America became more oriented toward the Protestants, and the Anglo Saxons, than the Spanish. But look south of the border. You can you can see that America is increasingly going to be uh, Hispanic and uh, uh, Asian, and live out the promise of its destiny as a plurality, as a, a melting pot. What do I mean to say here? As a a, a blend. Of peoples from all over the world, not just white Europeans, but everybody. That's why this anti immigrant hysteria is born in racism. What is that but fear and ignorance? So it's not political policy, social policy, or economic policy that's going to liberate the world. To me, it's love and understanding as conscious awareness love as consciousness as wisdom as truth as justice as liberty only one thing unifies all of those principles and that's love again much more than an emotion love as a conscious level of expanded awareness higher consciousness or expanded awareness an ability to use calm, peaceful states of mind to see the bigger picture to see our mutual interest in getting along and identifying every other human being as a member of your family Now, I'm sure there's people in your immediate family that you don't really like. It might be somebody that married into your family uh, and you don't like them, or it could be a blood relative, could be a sibling. You may not like your parents, or you may not like your children, but they're your family, so you love them anyway. You may find them abusive and choose not to hang around with them, but they're your family, and you love them anyway. And it's incumbent upon us to forgive these people. Well, how big a family are you willing to embrace? And where do you draw the line? We would never point nuclear weapons at the people of Chicago or New York or Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Seattle. I can't imagine pointing nuclear weapons at any city in Canada or Mexico or Central or South America. I can't imagine pointing nuclear weapons at Western Europe, but where there's people of color, I can imagine us pointing nuclear weapons like at the Chinese or or Asia. In Vietnam, we used to say that America fights a war against people of color. They fight communism with war when the people are of color. And in Eastern Europe, it fights communism when people are Caucasian with radio free America. You know, we use nuclear weapons on the Japanese, but not the Germans. I know people say, well we didn't have nukes then. Yes we did. We could have we could have used nuclear weapons on Germany, but there's white people there. Racism comes from fear and ignorance. And a belief that there's somebody on this planet that's not us that there's somebody on this planet called them can't you see the fear and the ignorance and the crazy belief that there is some human being on earth that's not us but them do you see the irony in this That, that that Justice comes from recognizing it's just us. So <laughs> you have to play with the letters a little bit. The spelling doesn't exactly work out, but uh, it is somewhat ironic. Justice requires us to see that there's only us, just us, here. A single family, humanity, the human race, and every individual is your brother. And every individual is your sister and deserves dignity and respect. Whether you like them or not. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them. Whether you think they're the problem and you're the solution. Even if you see the reason that you disagree with them is that they're coming from profound fear and ignorance. Matters not. If somebody understands and and is on the side of love and understanding, then you love them. But if they are your enemy, you must love them as well. You know, Christ said this, but most Christians don't believe this. Christ taught pacifism. It said you are to love and forgive your enemy. If somebody lies to you and cheats on you, you forgive them. If they slap you on one cheek, you turn the other. You see? There are hundreds of millions of Christians that don't get this fundamental teaching. Nor are they pacifists. The vast majority of Christians are not really Christians. Because they believe in violence. How could you be a Christian and own a gun, for example? And yet we think of Christians, especially the evangelical, the conservative, the fundamentalist, the right-wing Christian, God and guns. They just seem to go together. No Christian can own a gun, not a real Christian. That's why the... uh, Christians were fed to the lions because they refused to fight as gladiators. You know, they were enslaved by the Romans uh, in, in the early days after the death of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. The first few hundred years, there was no church. It was pretty much this radical, independent movement called Christianity. And Christians were all pacifists and they said no we won't fight and the Romans said well we're going to uh, feed you to the lions then you'll be our entertainment right and they said well do what you gotta do but we're not going to fight as gladiators and the Romans said we'll give you your freedom you don't understand you're a slave now I own you And yet if you prevail against these gladiators you can earn your freedom. In fact if you become a great gladiator we'll give you some land and a house and money and set you up. Christians said no we won't fight. We've been told to turn our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and study war no more well when did that change it changed when the church formed and began to raise armies and kill people that disagreed with them it was the corruption of the church another institution another economic institution right more fear, and more ignorance, and more evil. In the name of love. But it's pretty easy to spot. This is not an argument about gun control. It's just who you're going to shoot. And it only persists because of ignorance. If you knew that any gun that you buy solely for self-defense is six times more likely to be taken away and used against you than ever used in self-defense. Six times more likely to be pointed at you, to shoot you and your kids and your family that gun that you bought to protect yourself. Six times more likely to be stolen than used against someone else, if not you, than ever used in self-defense. You would see that Only ignorance and fear promotes violence. And the antidote is love and understanding. How do we promote love and understanding? Well, each promotes the other. You get smart. You educate yourself. You open your mind based on the premise that there is only one race of people, the human race, there is only one family on this earth, the human family, that every individual on this planet, no matter who they are or what they do, no matter how despotic or evil they may seem to be, they deserve respect and dignity. They deserve your spiritual love. Even if you find them very threatening and abusive, you don't have to hang out with them. You don't even have to like them, but you do have to love them. And if that doesn't make sense to you, there's your confusion. There's your fear and ignorance. Got to come to understand that you can love people that you don't like. You can even love people that you fear and hate. You did a program a few weeks ago called "The Power of Respect," and I talked about respecting your enemies. A lot of people, I got, you know, email and messages that said that, indicated that a lot of people that listened to this had a a big problem with it. Well, it is a challenge, I admit. Be the first to admit this is a challenge. Respect your enemies or love your enemies or any time you promote the idea of return all negatives with positives. Always be gentle, kind, understanding. Lead with understanding. Lead with wisdom. Lead with as much intelligence and information as you can gather. And that promotes love, which promotes understanding, which brings about even more love and more understanding. And now you're a revolutionary. Now you are changing the world. Now you are supporting the people of Tunisia, Egypt, and the one in six American children that live in poverty without enough to eat, ignored by the news media in this country. I I, I think that, given my background in journalism and media, is one of the most difficult parts of all of this, how easily the media can be corrupted and ignore these issues. And so the problem of evil is easily defined now. Work with it. It's fear and ignorance as a vicious cycle. And the antidote, the good, that conquers evil is not the sword or a gun or a bomb or a fist fight or clubbing people over the head or whipping them from horses and camels. the antidote, the solution to all of our problems is love and understanding. And if you can find that in religion and be inclusive in your religious point of view, fine. Many people find religion too exclusive, not nearly inclusive enough, which makes their promotion of love as a mission rather hypocritical you can't be a promoter of love and understanding and say but my love and understanding is better than their love and understanding if you really had love and understanding there would be no they, no them no other don't you see that's the big lie at the root of all of this that there's somebody here that's not you because you feel separated and alienated and alone and at odds is a condition of living in form in a separated body in a world where everything is separated from everything else save for maybe liquids and gases they... Liquids and gases sort of blend together. But more physical forms stand apart. What's the law? Two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That's the dilemma of being a spiritual being in a physical world. Of being essentially an an organized matrix of energy that is incarnated into a physical body. And the fear of living in this physical world comes from this alienation, this sense that you're all alone. So we do our best to find people to love us and be our friends and understand us and be on our side against all these other people when what we need to do is raise our consciousness and understand there are no other people. There's just us. It's that simple. This is not a religious point of view. This is not a political point of view. This is not a socioeconomic point of view not even really psychological, it's philosophical or spiritual point of view, it's metaphysical point of view, it says ultimately there is but one thing in the universe, it's a universe, one verse, a unicycle has one wheel, a universe is one thing. If we find that there are many universes, multiple universes, they still will be one thing. There is one mind at work. And religious people who believe there is but one God need to understand that that God is not separated and remote, but contains all things, is in all things, and all things are in it. Everything in the one, and the one in everything. You may want to write that down. It's that profound, and and extremely powerful, and can lift you from the confusion of believing that God lives very far away out on the edge of the universe someplace in a separated form and you're alone and abandoned you see there's just one thing at work one universe one life one race of human beings one environment, one ecosystem, one life support system. The human kingdom, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom is one thing. But you have to feel safe, love relaxed and peaceful love to have this elevated understanding to get it, to realize it and then to live it now you're an ambassador of of hope of liberty and of justice we have to work for justice it's true, there can be no peace without justice And there can be no justice without peace. That's love and understanding using different words. Peace and justice is love and understanding. And they feed each other as well. You have to have peace to create justice and vice versa. No peace, no justice. Things have to be fair for everybody. And that's your business. Each of us has a stake. in the quality of life that everybody else leads and wishes to lead. Again, the fundamentalist, especially the Christian fundamentalist that talks about revelation and uh, and the end times, will be the first to admit that part of their doctrine is a belief that after this second coming of what? Jesus or of Christ consciousness? Right? After this coming of love and understanding, there will be peace on earth for a thousand years, which is the way the ancients would say forever. We may live long enough to see that. Hopefully, you'll be you'll be able to recognize it happening now. The living history of humanity awakening to the promise of real freedom. How, uh, whatever it appears to be on the surface, it's got to be rooted in love and the understanding that walks hand in hand. Love as consciousness, again, as as truth, as hope. That's what you do to change the world. Where do you do it? Do you have to get in an airplane now and fly to Cairo? Do you have to join the Peace Corps? Do you have to protest and picket and boycott and vote? Write letters? Do all those things. Do whatever you believe is going to make a difference. But mostly, I would say, look around you in your daily life and affairs for opportunities to be kind, generous, and compassionate. In your daily life and affairs, in your routine day, make it a conscious practice to respond to evil, to injustice, to fear to negativity to to all of your problems with something positive you know somebody uh, honks their horn at you on the freeway and flashes the bird at you gives you that middle finger salute resist that knee jerk reaction to respond in kind take a breath, relax And smile and wave, or maybe it'd be better just to ignore them altogether. If a waitress brings you a bad meal, don't yell at her or him. They didn't cook it. They're exhausted, overworked, and underpaid. Don't take it out on them. They don't own the damn restaurant, and they didn't cook your food. Be nice to them. Empathize with them. Treat them like they're your husband or your wife, your parents or your kids. Treat every human being as if they are your spiritual brother and sister, and you will be changing the world and bringing meaning into your life, and create for yourself the joy, the happiness, again, the peace and the understanding, the love and understanding that everyone longs for but you have to give it away in order to receive it you have to promote it you have to be the initiate and initiate love and understanding in the world beyond politics and socioeconomics and this conventional approach to world events so that's my commentary about what I see happening in the streets of Cairo let's see what you guys have to say about this again you can comment or question either uh, by text online or if you're on the telephone or skyping us and uh Get the right page over here. Got a half a dozen windows open on my computer. So if you're on the telephone and you have a question or a comment, press star two on the touch tone pad. That'll indicate that you'd like me to uh, come to you and unmute you. And of the callers we have on the line now, I don't see anybody that. Uh, wants to step forward in that way so let's go to the text Q&A and see who we have with us folks just wanting to say hi in La Habra, Carol Postel often the first in line always with us, I don't think Carol's missed one of these hello Carol, aloha and thanks for being with us today Mark Bachrach, a friend of mine in uh, Thousand Oaks nice to see Mark with us today he says, Aloha, thanks for the broadcast Adria and I are looking forward to hearing your insights into developments in Egypt and the world nearby, thanks Mark Phil Jaffe in Kenogo Park he said uh, you got a great one today and uh Phil's asking also about the interview I did with uh, Roy Tuckman on KPFK. I've posted that, and uh, if you get the podcast feed for this class, you will get, in a day or two, uh, uh, podcasted to you on that same feed, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School feed, the program, the 30-minute interview, that uh, Roy and I did on KPFK about meditation and mindfulness gosh it was fun just to hear Roy's voice again and to be on this program on KPFK I worked there as a volunteer for over 14 years and missed the people and uh, Roy was the first person from KPFK I ever met uh, more than than 25 years ago so uh, also if you'd uh, if 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 you don't get the podcast stream for this class and yet would like to listen to the streaming audio, I have that posted on my website. So go to theagelesswisdom.com. Again the T H E is part of it. Theagelesswisdom dot com. Click on home page to go inside, and then click on web teleconference. And you'll see the archive of all of these programs in near the top, because they're organized by date. You'll see Roy Tuckman interview. It's only 30 minutes, so thanks for reminding me about that. So, out of Pittsburgh, John Bowles. John's calling himself John Super Bowles today. <laughs> That's pretty clever. Today's the Super Bowl day. Do you know I have never, in my life, Watch the Super Bowl game. I was a senior in high school forty five years ago when the first Super Bowl came on T V. And I've never watched the Super Bowl. I, I have absolutely no interest. I used to love Super Bowl Sunday because I'd go out and do things like nothing's going on. It's a great it's a great time to go to the go to the store or go shopping because everything is so dead so I know I'm the odd one I, I'm the strange one for not being excited. I don't even know who's playing I, you know a bunch of overgrown men on steroids banging into each other I, I, I it's just not doesn't float my boat not, <laughs> my fault forgive me uh, I just don't get it anyway he says uh, hey Michael looking forward to seeing you guys next week yeah John's coming to our Maui retreat, and uh, Phil, let's see, we already said hi to Phil Jaffe in uh, Canoga Park, and Bruce Chambers in Brookings, Oregon is with us again this week, hi Bruce, he says, aloha Michael, wanted to point out the irony of how we're now beginning to hear about a similar protest activity in Iraq. And it'll be interesting to witness how our government will will, will respond to this dilemma, of protest against the so-called, quote, democracy of our making, uh, which, of course, is not democratic at all. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the United States has a long history of opposing democracy and installing dictatorship. Guatemala, 1954, we overthrew a democratically elected government and installed a dictatorship. Chile in 1973, Nixon and Kissinger overthrowing a democratically elected government, a popular government of Salvador Allende, and installing a a despot, Augusto Pinochet, or Pinochet, a war criminal by all accounts, supported by the Nixon administration and later Ford and Bush and Reagan. Yeah, we, you know, Nicaragua, democratically elected government, democracy overthrew it. With squads. El Salvador, we uh, go all around the world. You know, nobody talks about the fact that it was the American CIA that installed Saddam Hussein in the first place. Not supposed to talk about that in this country. Lorelei in Tucson says, hello. She says, thank goodness for replays. Apparently she got part of the class today and had to run. In Arcadia, Judy Kraft, who's also coming to our retreat this week, this, this next week, February 13th through the 18th, she says, Aloha, hello, Michael. I was taught in my metaphysical studies that love and understanding is the answer to all of life's challenges. Yep. That's what I'm saying. She says, easier said than done. Well, yes, indeed. I, <laughs> I have to agree with that. You know, I think between love and understanding, love is really the hard part. If we can get a a, a foot in the door with understanding, educate ourselves, practice compassion and empathy, then the love part begins to open, which promotes more understanding. Where, where do we jump into this? wonderful upward spiral of love and understanding you know I I used to say there were two tracks to love and understanding and like a railroad has two tracks they both begin with R it's relaxation and responsibility how do we promote love and understanding relaxation, meditation, contemplation introspection, reflection that's the relaxation track and personal responsibility. Response ability. You're not responsible for what happens to you, perhaps. Oh, you may have contributed to it. You might have set yourself up for it. You might have caused it. But you're always responsible for what you do with it. Responsible. don't you see? Stop trying to control what's happening to you and instead manage what you do with it. Seems so simple. Yet it's it's, uh, sometimes hard to remember and a pinch can be hard to remember. Out of San Francisco, Scott says, Thank you. I've been listening to podcasts every day for a month. Your influence allows me to see events in Cairo as they are, fear was immediately evident when the violence started, thanks more for me in the future, thank you Scott our friend uh, and neighbor is returning to Maui this afternoon from San Francisco, one of the great cities of the world San Francisco, California, I envy you I live in Hawaii and I (laughs) And I envy you being in San Francisco. What a wonderful city. I love it. One of the great cities of the world again. Robert in Irvine is with us this morning. Hi, Robert. Haven't seen you here in a while. Glad that, uh, glad you're back. He said, I was watching a PBS special on Buddhism yesterday, and they mentioned how Buddha identified three poisons which lead to evil and they are greed as desire hate as fear and ignorance so there you go they've got uh, fear and ignorance and then greed added in which in Buddhism is a synonym for desire you know the four noble truths at the I guess nothing is more primary to Buddhism than the four noble truths they are simply that number one life is suffering everybody gets sick, everybody ages, everybody dies everything that you acquire you will lose I need to say that more carefully, everything physical and material you acquire you will lose and if you can't take all of that stuff with you, what can you take with you, love and understanding, consciousness you take with you, your memories, your experience, lessons learned. So if that's what we can take with us, why not focus on that? And the second noble truth is that we set ourselves up for suffering through our desires. Now that doesn't mean our desire for love and understanding or our desire to develop ourselves spiritually. That's more of an aspiration than a desire. Desire refers to material goods, stuff, money, or status, prestige, leverage over other people, materialistic uh, power. So the first two noble truths are Life is suffering, and number two, we create it through our desires, our need for things to be other than they truly are, our refusal to accept life as it is, materially. And then three and four, well, three is stop it, basically. (laughs) Learn to accept as a place to begin, Westerners especially have a problem with acceptance because it sounds like throw in the towel and give up, no, acceptance is get real, this is where you are, begin here Be- <laughs> begin now to change your life to respond differently and uh, let go of those desires, so those materialistic needs we Look, we got bills to pay. I understand the need for income, but we're talking about the excesses of materialism, uh, conspicuous consumption, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, that kind of stuff. Shopaholic, right? Addicted to shopping and debt and spending. And then the fourth noble truth is the way, the path which is the Noble Eightfold Path, really things like uh, get your thinking straight, right thought, uh, right consciousness, right behavior, um, basic philosophical principles of how to live a noble life, a responsible life. Those are the four Noble Truths. That's the secret of learning to take responsibility for the suffering you're still going to get old and sick and die. But you sure can do it a lot more gracefully with many fewer regrets and resentments when you learn to accept the truth of life. It's a great philosophy. It's less a religion than it is personal development and uh, psychotherapy. Buddha was the first psychotherapist, really. Philip in Los Osos is with us again this week. Hi, Philip. He says, got here late. Um, and is always listening and also checking out the podcast love it all aloha thank you Philip in uh, Australia I wonder what time it is in Australia right now Tracy Wooten from Sunshine Coast in Queensland great class again today Michael thank you Tracy she says, Thank you. Your podcasts are very popular with my twenty year old son and his friends. They have and let's see. They, oh, they have an interest in metaphysical philosophy thanks to you easygoing communication skills. Thanks to your easygoing communication skills. Keep up the good work. Wow, that's a high compliment to call me easygoing. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, Patricia Vega in Los Angeles. Aloha, Michael. You said what needed to be said. I don't know what I could add to it, but that we all need to remember that we, uh, I guess that's need to realize that we all need to love more. Yeah, definitely. And that's the challenge, you know, as long as we think of love as romance uh, and only some emotion. We're going to wait for it to be given to us or done for us. But if we see love as a responsible activity, less an emotion than a behavior, some people say love is not a noun, it's a verb, it's an action word. (laughs) That's pretty smart to say that. If you fully understand love as consciousness, it's yes a level of awareness it's a a state of mind but it also prescribes a certain behavior which is to respect everybody if you if you can't call it love if if you have a problem with love your enemy try just respect your enemy maybe that'll be a little more approachable both are difficult and there's really no difference. Love, you know, love as caring, and the emotional qualities of love, have, there there are many other qualities. Trust and respect are primary qualities. I think the first three qualities of love is caring. That's the first thing we think of, love is caring. I care about you. I have an interest in you. I'm fascinated by, I resonate with your frequency. I dig your vibes. (laughs) It's what we used to say in the 60s. I resonate with your vibes. There's chemistry here. Love as caring, and then love as respect, and love as trust. Those are the first three qualities, I think. But there's so many others. You know, compassion, and, and, and understanding, and forgiveness and uh, generosity and kindness and tolerance and patience and and, and dignity and, and the opportunity to help people, to be of service to them. Again, in little subtle ways, that, you know, the, this whole idea of think globally but act locally breaks it down to Uh, an action plan where the best thing you can do for the world is change who you are to grow yourself is to make a major contribution to the world and then as part of that self-growth you change the way you treat people not just the people you gather around you because you have emotional love for them But everybody, the people that treat you badly, the people who you don't like, the people who don't like you, if it's abusive, you can avoid them, but you still have to love them. What does that mean? It really begins, as I hope I'm not repeating myself too much, begins loving your enemy with just the understanding that even if they're abusive and maybe even dangerous and you need to avoid them, you still love them, you still understand that spiritually they're part of this one thing, this one life this one environment ecosystem this one life support system this family of men so checking the telephones again I still don't see any hands raised so let's do our guided imagery and um We'll get you out of here in about uh, 8 or 10 minutes. Close your eyes. This is a good time for you. Get nice and comfortable. Do a few shoulder shrugs and some head rolls and just sort of shake out that stress and that tension. Sit back. Think of yourself as being nicely aligned. Imagine yourself as a path of least resistance as you become more and more relaxed as you feel in your body muscles unwinding feel the letting go feel your body softening like a stick of butter you left on the countertop feel that stress that tension falling away Even in your scalp if you put your awareness gently on the space around your ears feel that area sag or droop as you relax your scalp isn't that amazing how much stress and tension we carry between the skull and the skin over it that cap of muscle you can feel relaxing as your ears droop a little relax your tongue even and allow it to just float with a little imagination you can relax the gums around your teeth and the feeling you're making all of this up is exactly right if you're not sure whether you're relaxing pretend you're relaxing, same thing, you will feel the letting go. And it also helps if you take one or two or even three nice, slow, deep breaths, unhurried breathing, filling your lungs, hold as you peak for a moment. and uh, As you exhale, feel more relaxation Exhale beyond where you'd normally stop, all the way, all the way out before you take that next slow, deep breath. And then allow your breathing to return to its natural rhythm, letting your body breathe itself. And a nice technique to deepen your relaxation is to imagine yourself in a beautiful outdoor nature place. It could be a wilderness or a well-tended garden. But go outdoors in your mind's eye. And imagine walking through the most beautiful place. Whether it's a garden or a field of wildflowers. Whether an open sunny meadow or a cool shady forested place. Allow my voice to guide you. But imagine hearing birds so easy to do the feeling you're making it up again is exactly the right feeling you can hear hear birds singing easily you don't even have to do it just allow it turn your attention to the imagined sounds of birds singing happily for no reason at all they accept that they are songbirds and they're happy being songbirds and perhaps you can even imagine hearing the wind in the tops of the tallest trees or if you're out in the sunshine you can feel the gentle warmth of the sun on your face and your arms and it's not too hot you're dreaming this up so imagine that the sunlight is just perfect, just warm enough. And wherever you happen to be, you find this one particular place to sit down. On the ground, maybe a shady patch beneath a big tree. Or, if you wish, out in the middle of that sunny meadow full of wildflowers or in a cool shady spot in a forest or a glen maybe beside a little stream or a pond and feel yourself supported by the earth rooted imagine being rooted into the earth grounded or plugged in like like a tree or a bush or a flower and at the same time you're rooted or grounded into the earth imagine yourself at the very top of your head at the so-called crown open and receptive receptive to a gentle precipitation a downward impress of love as consciousness as awareness as insight and understanding a gentle rain if you've ever been in an actual rainfall that was so gentle that you didn't even care about going inside or getting out of the rain it was just so wonderfully gentle There are these gentle rains in Hawaii, sometimes called the Noe Noe, or the Kili. These fine mists that are damp but refreshing. Well, imagine that spirit, as love, gently rains down upon you in this way and fills you like a vessel an urn fills you with spiritual love as understanding and awareness of your connection to all things and you are increasingly aware that you in spite of appearances are not separate from anything that in spite of appearances you are connected to everything this is the result of all seemingly separated things coming from a single source there may be many types of tables in the world coffee tables end tables dining room tables desks but they're all tables there's hundreds of thousands tens of thousands of no doubt different kinds of chairs in the world but they're all chairs chairs And chairs and tables together are furniture. All part of one thing. As you gently pull back and zoom out. One of the primary qualities of understanding brought about in a loving and peaceful meditation. Is this overview as you pull back or zoom out a little bit an elevated perspective that allows you to see the connections where before you had seen separation and conflict. And so you begin to see not only connection but harmony and even unity where most people see conflict and adversity. And you begin to understand that all seemingly separated things stem from a single source and are part of one thing, one life, one experience. This is the wisdom of the ages. This is higher consciousness. This is expanded awareness. And when we turn our attention humanity, we are one family a human kingdom that relies upon the animal kingdom which relies upon the plant kingdom which relies upon the mineral kingdom in one life support system one life one thing The totality, inclusive of all things, nothing outside of it, nothing exclusive. Exclusivity is an appearance and ultimately a lie. The truth is always inclusive, it's diverse. It's even unique in that all of these forms avoid redundancy and repetition. Every species is different. Every individual in a species is unique. Human beings have DNA evidence of their individuality, their uniqueness, of the diversity of these forms, and yet both things are true, the one and the many the unity and the diversity don't let this be a contradiction see it as polarities one end of the bar magnet is unity the other end of the bar magnet is diversity both things are true and the magnetic field that unifies what appears to be opposites the one and the many unity and diversity the magnetic field the third element or the middle bit is the love the consciousness the truth the wisdom the soul love is a spiritual magnetic force and love is magnetic and consciousness is magnetic like attracts like in the spiritual dimensions put your attention on love you attract love put your attention on fear and ignorance you attract fear and ignorance for this is law, simple law of magnetism. No love as consciousness to be magnetic, and you'll understand the law of attraction, that like attracts like, that you go where you look, you get what you expect, you reap what you sow and that you must give in order to receive the very thing you wish to receive you must first give away a little complicated but it's not that hard so go back to the polarities of this bar magnet and see unity and diversity as the two ends They only seem to be opposite or even different. It's the magnetic field that unifies them. That's the love, the soul, the consciousness, the heart and soul of what might appear to be opposites, unity and diversity, the one and the many. Spirit and matter are in fact one thing. Like the pendulum that at the bottom expresses the duality of form in its ebb and its flow, in its yin and its yang. And yet the top end of the pendulum is fixed and unmoving, a single point, occupying no space and no time, fixed, unmoving, unmovable eternal and infinite, and yet expressing as you move down the pendulum the duality of form. These are not contradictions. They only appear to be. The bar magnet and the pendulum, very ancient and rich symbols to help you understand what might look like a contradiction, but in fact, is just one thing at work. Spirit reflected in form. Know your source. Seek to understand the oneness through love and understanding. In the way understanding promotes love, and love as consciousness embraces and unfolds understanding in your life. And bring this expanded awareness with you gently back into your wide-awake state. As you recall now, bring to mind the room around you. And take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling, fill your lungs, and open your eyes wide-awake back in the room, feeling fine. But thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Watch for the newsletter every week. usually comes out on Thursday or Friday. Forward the newsletter to your friends. If you're not getting the newsletter, it's a single click, and then your first name and your email address. That's all you need. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com, after the W's, dot theagelesswisdom.com. And you'll see a button right below the Maui Retreat link that says Free Newsletter. Click on that, add your first name and your email address, and you'll get the newsletter every week with a link to each Sunday's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And those of you who are subscribers to the premium audio and focusedpassion.com, you'll find out what the upcoming program is. in in the following week for you guys as well. And as always, thank you. Mahalo. Appreciate you being here. Have a wonderful week. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. See you next week. Aloha.